It's the 26th of December, 2015, and this is episode 275. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, exciting, and empowering, but we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the new digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine, and today we're sitting in on a talk from open-source developer Warren Tagami. Although I'd been interested in open-source projects before getting involved with cryptocurrency, it took that basic understanding of Bitcoin and the altcoin ecosystem to see some of the most tangible advantages personally. Warren came to Bitcoin from a different understanding, one informed by his earlier and extensive work in the open-source Linux ecosystem. This talk is called World Domination, What Bitcoin Must Learn from Linux's Success. Enjoy the show. I joined Blockstream a few months ago, but this talk has almost nothing to do with Blockstream or, or even Bitcoin. And I go through um, a, a little history lesson of how this other wildly successful open source industry managed to overcome obstacles um, that I think could be uh, very helpful for, for the Bitcoin industry. My reputation is as a community and coalition builder, even before um, I created uh, the Fedora project uh, back in college, um, I was um, like doing like a local nonprofit in Hawaii that aimed to bring uh, Linux into schools who had no money because it was a way to, to deploy dozens and dozens of desktops at very low to no cost. Um, and uh, I created Fedora in part to make that easier. And it has since uh, uh, grown um, eight years ago to be one of the largest open source projects in the world and the driver behind uh, the engineering um, uh, competitive advantage that allowed Red Hat to, to really succeed in the market. Um, and I. I talk a little bit about that story, but the reason that I give this background is that um, I've been in open source for a long time, and I do it uh, because of the technology. And even after I left Red Hat in 2010, I continue to work on this thing called K12 Linux, which is um, the Linux for Schools project. Um, so I was formerly a, a, a Linux operating system engineer at Red Hat uh, that continued to build the Fedora project. Um, and um, I have some patents in my name. I worked on like various uh, like tech projects. Um, more recently, I went back to grad school and uh, I was very interested in law school and I got distracted by Bitcoin and I, I um, like got only one um, a grad degree. Um, and it's, it's just like um, when a computer scientist uh, learns of Bitcoin and they understand how cool it is, it's, it's just really hard to ignore. Uh, so like I knew, uh, I, I knew that I had to get back into technology um, like as, as quickly as possible. But then by the following year, okay, uh, so I got involved in a kind of minor way in Bitcoin Core uh, as a Bitcoin Core contributor. Um, I was leading the rewrite of Litecoin and, and took a lot of donations from that community to 
to, to make their quality of code a lot better. And I, I donated that back to other Bitcoin developers to fix bugs in Bitcoin, um, because this is the, the kind of thing that I do. Um, but then by the following year, Gox happened, and I was just really burnt out by like amateurs that have no business holding half a billion dollars of, of, of other people's money, and there's all these criminals and unethical pump and dump scams. And I'm like, you know, uh, I'm just gonna work on normal engineering. <laughs> uh, but a team convinced me th that what they're working on is super interesting, and they're in it for the technology, and, and that's why I'm back. Um, so, so what I'm talking about today is what I see in the Bitcoin industry right now looks really familiar to me. Um, like a lot of the current issues um, is pretty much the same thing to me um, from the early Linux industry in the early 2000s um, where uh, Linux was seen as this toy made by um, hobbyists and these tiny companies. How can you trust this? And within a, a relatively short amount of time, it somehow replaced these massive, super entrenched, uh, like entire industry that was a Unix industry. Like at one point, Sun Microsystems uh, uh, was a company worth like $20 billion in market cap or something. Um, I didn't look back. Uh, very long, but that's just one of like several Unix companies that that didn't survive. Um, and I thought about what were the success factors of this, and does this actually apply to Bitcoin? And I think it does. So I go through um, uh, yeah some of this history. Um, so to understand. Um, in a typical open source project, it usually starts out with volunteers. Um, like with Linux, it's just people that, that, that wanted to build their own operating system, and then it's volunteer-driven, they were scratching it, just um, like, I use it myself, and I can improve it, and you do so, and then, um, like a little bit later, some small companies um, like began working on it, and like, my company needs this improvement, so I'm gonna like pay my people to work on it. And like some other people who don't understand open source, it's like, ooh, I can take this and make an improvement only for me. And they think that it's an advantage, but actually no, because it's a, it, it's a maintenance nightmare to, 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 to maintain patches only against your version, because when the upstream version has moved on, you have to integrate and test it all over again. And if you can upstream your changes and, and improvements that you wrote for yourself, then um, it goes um, code review, and other people will maintain it as part of the future improvements of, uh, of software. So there is a strong desire among people who work in open source to actually collaborate with each other um, on, on software development. Uh, e e and, okay. Uh, so a bit later, um, and there are some problems with this. Um, when, when, when you rely only on volunteers, you don't exactly have accountability because it's not people's job to do the heavy lifting. They'll probably do only the low-hanging fruit or things that are fun. Um, but like major architecture changes to, to reorganize what, what, what was created as spaghetti code into something that's actually designed well um, usually is a lot of thankless work that, that, that requires high skill and lots of patience and you pay someone to do that. Um, 
in many open source projects, um, peer review of code is a major problem. It's like you may have contributions, but if no one is accountable to to engage with a contributor, or if contributors don't feel accountable to each other, then the, the project can be held back. Um, and if companies are reliant on an open source project for a commercial schedule, you really don't want to rely on volunteers um, to, to meet your schedule. So that's why um, there's been a lot of success um, with um, uh, several different open source industries where they hire people who were the, maybe the original authors who were, or, or, or maybe very uh, productive um, to like to work on it full time. Um, and like the major success of this, um, like, like this thing that I created outside of Red Hat that was later adopted and grew and grew and grew to, um, like within a few years, um, so Red Hat had hundreds of paid engineers working on the open source software. Um, by maybe eight years ago, we had like 7,000 registered um, volunteers that were like developers and designers and marketers and ambassadors and evangelists and all sorts of people. So there's lots of opportunities if you organize these things well uh, for non-developers to, to get involved and to feel ownership. Um, and uh, and this improved the software very, very quickly. Uh, and the very same code that was developed in this manner uh, was used by the commercial company um, in a different way in a packaged product with service and support. Um, and for customers that are smart enough, they can use it for free. But like, if you're running the New York Stock Exchange on it, like what happened in the early 2000s, you probably want commercial support on that. Um, especially when you didn't write it yourself. Um, so this is kind of an oversimplified picture of what the Linux industry lo looked like eh, maybe like seven years ago. Um, like, there's a lot more of this now, but like um, the, the enterprise Linux vendors that made products for servers, um, you would either go directly to the customer or you would go through like these consulting companies because like no one's ever fired for hiring IBM, right? Um, like there are a lot of um, companies that, that won't talk to startups or you know what were startups back then, but, um, it, uh, but they will do what the consultant tells them to do and that's applicable to today where there are a lot of Bitcoin companies that are trying to sell the, to like FinTech and you know, like Fidelity or NASDAQ kind of companies, but like, like they want the backing of major consulting firm to, to say that it's a good idea or something. So, and also these, these like solutions companies also package it with other vendors. So like, uh, it's, it's just a conduit to get the customers. Uh, and so the major su success factor of how Linux went from this hobbyist toy to, to a major commercial success that replaced the, like tens of billions of dollars of, of industry um, is because the um, companies selling solutions, especially at this level and at this level, uh, hired uh, 
uh, developers, uh, let me get to that slide. Okay, okay, so how do we get there? Um, so the IBMs and the Intels and like various hardware manufacturers that wanted to sell hardware that ran Linux uh, or did like services and solutions and consulting or like Red Hat who built the operating system and um, they all worked together with dedicated engineers who worked on the common open source infrastructure that they all rely upon. Even companies that compete with each other have, have to be accountable to each other on the open source project. And uh, by doing so, um, they improved the overall maintainability and quality of that code until it vastly surpassed Unix that was just moving very slow at that point. Uh, and like I underlined code review here uh, in lots of open source projects, and we sometimes see this in Bitcoin. Um, like there are new contributors um, uh, that want to work on something, and they post some code, and maybe they could be, be learned to be very productive contributors, but no one is responding to their contribution, or they need to be educated. Um, and like, if, you're, if you're relying only on volunteers, it's really hard. But uh, if, 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 if you, are, you have to work with other companies on this common infrastructure they, that, that you rely upon, then uh, there's a possibility of, um, of, of some accountability and uh, the ability to bring on new developers um, is improved. Um, and ultimately, it's about credibility for the multiple companies who dedicate engineering resources to the common infrastructure. Um, because like, the customers want to hire the authors of it who are, or, or people who have demonstrated Clue. They have the ability to understand how it works because they wrote it or they fixed it. Um, and by developing the internal competencies like, um, okay, Early 2000s, IBM made this major um, like, um, TV campaign that they're investing a billion dollars in, in Linux uh, development and marketing. And uh, they decided that they would, like, instead of being left behind, they would, inter uh, they would replace internal competencies within their company um, so that they're able to, to handle Linux customers in the future. Uh, so they um, not only took leadership and, and built a lot of credibility with, with those customers, they, they helped to push forward the level of quality and, and professionalism alongside the other companies like Intel and Red Hat. Um, I should go through. Okay, so uh, there were, have been reports like this uh, issued by the Linux Foundation. This is February 2015. Uh, that show things like um, percentage of code and number of chain sets um, in just one tiny component of Linux. Um, like you can see, you probably recognize the brand names here. It's like Red Hat and Intel and Samsung. So like there's like solutions companies, hardware companies, operating system companies, and they all work together um, on this common infrastructure that they all, all rely upon. And, this kind of report has looked pretty much the same for the last eight, 10 years that I remember. Um, it, uh, there were several dozen companies on this list back then, now it's like over 200. Um, so, so when I say that the, the, the Bitcoin industry is like where 
like f maybe 13 to 15 years behind where this is. Like this is where we could be in the future where there are many, many companies that are doing services and solutions and um, they've gained the credibility with the customers because they helped to write it. Um, and this is a separate metric. In the last 15 months, a number of new developers that these companies have brought on board on, on the core of Linux. Um, so that same picture again, where like solutions companies and you know um, like the tech vendors that hired a lot of the the original authors of the open source software, all worked together on the open source ecosystem tools um, and frameworks and infrastructure. I now learned that maybe Blockstack uh, belongs maybe. Oh, okay. Um, so like maybe. The future blockchain industry would be like this, you know, there are solutions providers that are initially like a way for, for blockchain tech to be legitimized to customers because they won't talk to startups. Um, but these companies and the blockchain tech vendors and whoever else work on the common infrastructure together. And there are other examples of, of this like Blockstack might be an example, I need to learn more about it. Uh, thank you, Ryan, yeah. So takeaways, um, this was a talk about Bitcoin governance. It's not what you think it is. Um, and if, if we want to learn from the most wildly successful open source industry ever, uh, we need to think about, um, or, or, or to learn lessons of what uh, came in the past. Um, those who wrote it are most capable of understanding, fixing, and improving the code. Uh, this is about credibility uh, that marketing cannot fake. And this is leadership by merit. So if you want to be credible to your customers with blockchain tech, you should invest in the infrastructure yourself and work with the other companies. A major success story that's come out of the Montreal Scaling Bitcoin conference um, has been like weekly public um, IRC meetings of Bitcoin Dev, uh, where they talk about development issues every week, and there's minutes, and like people try to translate that in the human language um, to explain it to normal people. And like, if you see who's participating in those meetings, there's four plus companies um, and the MIT DCI engineers. Um, so, so we have the beginning of this. Like, uh, if we can convince the major solutions companies to, that they need to dedicate engineers on, say, Bitcoin um, and sidechain code and other open source infrastructure, then they improve their ability to sell it to customers and the entire ecosystem benefits. Um, so that's the vision that I hope you can learn from. Thank you very much. Thank you, Owen. Thank you. So just to wrap everything up, um, please welcome back Brian Ford. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's episode comes to us from the Future of Digital Currency Conference and Warren Tagami. Music for today's show was provided by Jared Rubens and Adam B. Levine. 
No break on today's episode, but you can hear another of the songs I've been working on after these credits. The magic word for today's episode is Mary. That's M-E-R-R-Y. Mary. You've got until the 2nd of January to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener rewards. And of course, if you've got any questions or comments, you can email me at adam at letstalkbitcoin.com, but please don't expect any response until January. I'm enjoying the last few days of being mostly unplugged, and I'm looking forward to another productive year in 2016. Thanks for listening. This is called Ears on the Ground.